remember being angry a lot of the time because I couldn't understand how something that had kind of grown so quickly and, and been doing so well and, and outwardly, it looked like I was doing amazingly. I was winning all of these awards. I was in the press. I was on BBC Radio 4. I was speaking at all events all around the country. But behind the scenes, the whole thing was just falling to pieces. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And today I have the founder of She's the Boss International, a multi-award winning entrepreneur, business growth strategist, motivational speaker, who's been in the in the game for almost like two decades. Don't let me sound old. Oh, come on. She's just been doing it. Even, even though you're for a minute. <laughs> she's been doing it since she was at school. You know what I mean? Since she was at university. So she's not old. She's a young, young, young woman. But I got the amazing Daniela in the, should I say in the booth with me today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm happy to be here. It has been a pleasure. You are someone who I have seen all your amazing things you're doing i've seen the awards i've seen the post i've seen the testimonials and testimonials and i was like i just need to talk to you just to learn a bit more about you and with that in mind i want to go way back to teenage daniela uh, what were the hopes and the dreams at that point in time if you can remember for you Big ones. I had big hopes and dreams when I was a teenager. The main one being, well, the first one was to be an entertainer. So I actually wanted to be a singer, stroke rapper, stroke dancer, stroke actress. That was actually the original career trajectory. So I used to do a lot of performances around the Midlands. Um, At one point I was in a a girl group, (laughs) me and a friend, Azure, called Ella's, very creative, Ella and Azure. So my nickname is Ella. But yeah, wasn't creative at all. But that was the original dream. Then I realized actually I wasn't that great of a singer and I wasn't that confident in terms of performing. So I kind of changed the kind of vision that I had for my life and decided actually I'm going to be a media mogul. So the idea was I really wanted to be like the UK's version of Oprah. And that's what I used to say all the time. Like I'm going to be UK's Oprah. I'm going to have TV show. I'm going to have a magazine. I'm going to write books. I'm going to have a book club, all of these different things. I'm really just modeled around Oprah. Like I didn't necessarily call it entrepreneurship at that time because I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was. But when I look back, that's what it was. It was, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And it was interesting because I didn't necessarily have anybody around me that was in business. It was really just Oprah Winfrey, which sounds really cliche because I know everyone says, who's your greatest inspiration? Oprah, obviously. But I genuinely believed that I was going to be able to kind of achieve the heights that she did. So that was, they they were Daniela's childhood or adolescent dreams. Wow. So are there little like videos and clips of you as a rapper, dancer, singer out there that (laughs) I can go look up? No, not not in, no, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not not on YouTube. So I say I'm not old, but I'm old enough that, yeah, it's, this was pr- prior to the YouTube and social media days. So I've got some cassette tapes and CDs in my house and rhyming books, but nothing that's in the public sphere. No, we're, we're not having anything in the public sphere. All right. I'm going to say one of these days before I ever get to an award ceremony, I'm going to put you on blast on stage like, 
Get Danielle on stage, just put some willy back, <laughs> bring out some of those old school moves, you know. No, we don't, we don't, no, we don't, no, we don't. It's interesting though, because a lot of times, especially young kids, always say that I don't want to be like Oprah or aspire to be Mongols. But then you also get the parents who now say, well, that's great, that's a pipe dream. So don't pursue that, do something completely different. What was that like in your household when you told your friends that's where you wanted to be? It was that same kind of thing. What's your plan B? Because everybody wants to be a singer, everybody wants to be a star, everybody wants to be a this or that. What is your plan B? And in my household, it was, you have to have an education. And actually what I really had wanted to do is I wanted to go to America and go to a performing arts school. And that was really kind of the focus in my head. And my parents were like, you need to go to university. Like, we're not interested in performing arts school. University is the way that you need to go. And I was very resistant against it. But what actually happened, which is not necessarily a happy story, but I went to an audition for something called hip opera. Hip opera, yeah, like a hip hop opera. And I went with a really close friend of mine and my two cousins. And all three of them got through and I didn't. And that was the kind of shake up I think that I needed to realize actually this is probably not the route for you. Because if all of them got through and you didn't, you're just not talented enough. And then it was then that I kind of switched to the idea of, okay, maybe I need to do something more in the media. And actually my parents were quite supportive of that because it meant that I was going to university. So when I went to university for my undergraduate degree, I did media and communications and specialized initially in television production, but then in radio production. So they were supportive of that because whatever it was going to take to get me to university, then, yeah, they were in support of. And my dad in particular was always of the, this kind of idea that you should create your own ways of generating revenues that are not reliant on having a boss. So for him, the idea of me kind of going down more of an entrepreneurship route was a good one because then you're not going to be stuck in a dead end job for the rest of your life. So he was always kind of instilling that principle in my head the kind of don't work for the man that kind of thing and whilst at the time I didn't necessarily understand why he was saying those things in the long term and going down that kind of more entrepreneurship route I see that him planting that seed was actually quite pivotal to the direction and the trajectory that my life has taken and also that he was right essentially. I would say as a, as a parent a lot of times our job is to plant the seeds which get harvested in a different season rather than your kids getting it now and it sounds like your dad you exactly what your dad did with you and it's quite interesting as well because even though you're pursuing media and communications what you do now did get birth in that environment at university with what you were doing you created the acs society i believe at, at birmingham didn't you the first one yeah yeah so i was at it was called uc at the time it's now called birmingham city university and when i joined they didn't have an african caribbean society and I was really disappointed because I'd heard all of this great stuff about ACSs. And I'm like, I'm going to join the ACS. And there wasn't one. So I actually started the ACS there and it did really, really well. <laughs> and that was where I kind of fell in love really with the idea of event management and organizing events. And actually, I before I'd even gone to university, I had kind of dabbled in that because I'd, I'd been part of a, an organization called Build Mentor Company in Nottingham. So I was born in Birmingham, but I was actually raised in Nottingham. And through that, I was kind of hired as a, a mentor. And somehow, when I think about it, I don't really understand how it happened, ended up organizing a huge citywide event and managed to do everything myself. So did all of the promotions, hired all the performers, recorded a radio advert, did the designs, 
for the flyers, which when I look back now are hilarious because I wasn't a designer. <laughs> and yeah, it was, a, yeah, it's, it's so like basic, but it worked because we had ended up with over a thousand people attend this event. And I remember people saying like, who organized this? And I'm like, it was me. And nobody believed that it was, it was me. Cause at that time I was about 17. I was really young and had organized this huge event. So then when I'd gone to university and started the ACS, I knew that I could organize events cause I'd done this huge one in Nottingham. And then continued kind of down that route. So we, one of our kind of flagship events was called Talent. And we kind of pitted the different university ACSs against each other. So I think the first one we did was ECU or UCE versus Aston versus Birmingham. And then the second one, we then went to Leicester. We went to Nottingham, we went to Coventry, Wolverhampton. And then in the following year, we went to Manchester, we went to Leeds and we kind of spread it. And we got, I was really good at sponsorship so I was able to get sponsored by, or get a sponsored by HMV, Alizé. I don't know if you remember Alizé. I remember Alizé, yeah. Alizé sent us crates and crates of Alizé. I was drinking Alizé for months after the event, which was wonderful. We had like building society sponsors. So I, I, I worked out that I was really quite good at this. And at the same time, I was doing all of the media stuff. So in terms of like doing interviews, I was pretty good at those because I, within my actual degree, I was going into the TV studio and was recording content and I was having to learn scripts and the same for radio. I had to produce a radio show. So in terms of creating the kind of promotional stuff, I knew how to do that because I was learning it in my course and really just loved it and enjoyed it. And that was kind of how I first got into event management, which is then what my subsequent first business was centered around. And actually the talent event that I had started as part of the ACS became the flag- flagship project for the company that I started straight out of uni. It's transferable skills from doing something before you go to university and creating something that didn't exist because you wanted to birth the ACS at that university. And then through that, you were able to expand it into an actual business, which brought into scope all the different skills that you had learned, as well as what you were actually learning with media production, all that kind of stuff as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And... Really what the driving motivator was, was because my dad was absolutely right. I didn't want to be stuck in a job. And in that first kind of few months out of university, honestly, I'm I'm totally unemployable. The first year I started different jobs. I, I can't remember what the first job was, but first and foremostly, I was told if you really want to get into the media, you have to move to London and you're going to have to be a runner for at least two years. And I remember saying, well, what's, what's the runner going to do? make coffee and tea. I don't ever drink coffee and tea. Why am I going to be making teas and coffees for other people? No, thank you. Mm-mm. I won't be doing that. <laughs> so then I decided to stay in Birmingham. I had so many different jobs in a very short period of time. So I worked for a marketing company. I worked for a recruitment company. I worked for a magazine. I worked for a theater company. And I just kind of moved around, moved around, stayed one play, don't like that. Don't like this one. Don't like the fact that you're telling me what to do. Don't like the fact that you're telling me what to wear. Don't like the fact that you're telling me when I can eat. I'm not doing this. This is not for me. (laughs) So then I decided to start the first business. And that's kind of how Aspire For You, which was the first business, was born out of me being frustrated with being in all of these ridiculous jobs. What do you say to people who say... I'm unemployable and I can't work for someone because that's where you were and you had that. You tried different things that didn't quite work out for you. Do you really believe that there are some people who are just unemployable? Yeah, me. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have, I am evidence of that. I think there's certain people that are just not born to be, I don't want to say controlled because that sounds disrespectful, but I like to be in charge of my own time. I have an issue and, and I don't know where it came from, but I don't like being told that I have to be somewhere because you told me to be. I've, and I've always had a problem with that. Even at school, one of the key issues that I used to have at school was being kept in a classroom. I didn't want to be in the classroom. I remember my maths teacher t- kicking me out of the class and it turned into a big hoo-ha. Kicking me out of the class because I kept walking out of the class and walking around the block. We had blocks in school. And then I would just come back and sit down. So she kicked me out because actually you, you're you clearly not serious about this. And actually I was just bored. I don't want to sit here. I've done my work. Leave me alone. Like, why do I have to sit here? Because you told me to. And that was always the thing. I remember the science teacher kicked me out for the same kind of thing. T- too busy talking. You're not doing your work. Why are you not doing what we're telling you to? Because I don't want to. So I, I very early on, well, not so early on. When I was in primary school, I wasn't necessarily like that. Although in primary school, I remember one of the teachers saying to my mom, Daniela would achieve a lot if she would just stop talking so much, which now I always remember because I feel the irony of it because now I get paid to speak a lot. <laughs> so clearly you were wrong. But in the secondary school, yeah, they couldn't really hold me down. I wasn't miss. I wasn't a badly behaved child. I just wanted to do my own thing. And the same applied when I then went into work. I want to do my own thing. I don't want you telling me what to do. And if you're a boss of a company and you've got somebody that is like that, you can't, it's, it's very difficult to manage them. And therefore that person is really unemployable. And I think if somebody's in that situation, if you have skills in other areas, you need to work out how you can generate revenues that don't require you being in a job. Because all, all that will happen is you're going to end up in a situation like what I did, where you're going from job to job to job to job, and that doesn't look good on on a CV and it's going to be very difficult for you to progress if you, you can't stay in one one spot for an extended period of time, which was what my, my issue was. So that period didn't exceed 12 months. And then by the end of the 12 months, I saw a, an advert for a business startup program, which was being delivered by my previous university. And I signed up and on that program, I teamed up with a friend that I'd been friends with at university and then two other friends that weren't on the program, but we'd kept in touch with and we set up the business. But And I think for them, the business was kind of a side thing, whereas for me, it was the main mm. thing. Do you think that you having that mentality actually makes you a better business partner as well as a better leader with those who do work for you? Because do you then go over and above or create an culture and environment where people can have the flexibility and freedom that you also want, hence why you decided to be a boss? No, (laughs) the exact opposite, actually. (laughs) The exact opposite. So with my first business, in total, I had 15 members of staff, not all at the same time. I think at any one time, the most I had was eight. But in total, I employed 15 people. And I kind of did try to take that approach and try to be the boss that I believed that I would have wanted. Somebody that kind of isn't really too strict on time, it's more output focus and doesn't ask too much questions, isn't trying to micromanage. And it didn't work at all. I was a terrible manager. I wasn't, I kind of just left people to their own devices. And what that meant was no one knew what they were supposed to be doing. 
Nobody was doing what they were supposed to be doing. And it led to a lot of kind of issues within the business. I don't necessarily think that I had the understanding of what it took to be a good manager because I was too entrepreneurial. I didn't want to be managing people, actually. What I wanted to be doing was going out and kind of meeting people, creating opportunities, organizing the events. So the the business actually was a social enterprise. So the idea behind it was we'd organize corporate events, celebration events, Christmas parties, award dinners, networking, that kind of thing. And then the funding from that or the revenues would then enable us to provide training, development, showcasing opportunities for young people and particularly young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. As it actually happens, what the business model became was we kind of became like a charity. So I applied for funding, was very good at writing funding applications and was been, was able to basically grow the business based on the funding and also the sponsorships that we were able to generate. And that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to focus on that stuff. I loved working with young people. I loved putting on the youth and community events that we did. I didn't want to have to deal with somebody's not showing up for work or somebody was supposed to be here at 10 and they didn't show up till two. And I didn't like firing people either. So I used to get, (laughs) my friend Leanne was working for me as an admin assistant. (laughs) So I used to get her to fire people. I'd stay at home because there was no space in the office for me. She'd fire them. (laughs) And I'd be at home like, have you done it yet? What did you say? (laughs) So yeah, I, I was not very good in that respect. Now, I kind of outcome of that, And some of the issues that I had with staff, because I had a lot of staff issues. We had to fire quite a few people. I had somebody stole my intellectual property. Another one tried to sue me for, well, not tried, they did. Take me to a tribunal for £30,000. So there was a lot of problems. So in She's the Boss, (laughs) I'm like, I'm not having any staff. This is just not for me. Because the types of people that I want to work with are actually the types of people that run their own businesses, not people that are that needs to be managed because mm. I don't want to manage them. But actually, recently, this year in particular, I've realized I'm going to have to employ some people. Mm-hmm. At the moment, all of my team are outsourced. So I have outsourced marketing support. I have outsourced a VA. And actually, I say outsourced, but they have, they're part of the team, but they're not on payroll. But I recognize that I'm going to need some a few people actually internally. So I've been kind of kind of reckoning with, okay, how do I do this? differently from how I did it the first time. And I know because I advise clients on how to do it effectively all the time, but there is still that trauma (laughs) of my first experience. And also I think my, in terms of my learning and my development, I recognize that I was trying to manage people in a way that I wanted to be managed, but I don't want to be managed. That's why I run the business. So actually it's not an approach that is an effective one. I'm aware of that now. So I know I can do better. And I, as I said, I encourage my clients to kind of take a similar approach. You do want entrepreneurial people in your teams. You do, because it's beneficial. But what you don't necessarily want is entrepreneurs in your team, which is a wholly different thing. Entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really where, what I didn't work out. I also was terrible at recruitment, but that's a, a separation. <laughs> um, <laughs> terrible at recruitment. Absolutely horrendous. But again, we learn, we live, we grow, we develop. And I think I'd be much better at that now. And in terms of kind of flexibility, I still, in terms of how I want to grow the business and and recognizing that I am going to take on staff, there are certain things that I will still want to implement. So flexibility, focusing on outcomes and outputs, as opposed to like, what time did you start versus what time did you finish? I wouldn't ever want to create an environment where anybody felt imprisoned. 
like how I used to feel imprisoned. But sounds like you've, you've, based on what you've been through already, you even recognize, like even right from the start, if, for example, you're not great at recruitment, the kind of people you're bringing into the organization are not going to be great. And they're just like IT terminal garbage and garbage out, which is what it is when you recruit people who aren't great and you're trying to leave them to their own devices, they're going to produce anything. But if you can get it right at that point in time and have that space and culture where they are entrepreneurs and they're driven to deliver results and all kind of stuff, you can probably actually get end up with what it is you want in the way you don't have to micromanage and step in. But more importantly, you can actually ask them how they'd like to be led as well. So rather than you even making mm-hmm. that assumption based on how it was for you, so what do they need as individuals as well? But that's all growth and learning, which you've had that time and space to recover. And now you can fully, you can fully step into it for sure. Had the therapy to work through the trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out the other end. <laughs> it's been a journey. If you are enjoying listening to this episode, can you do me a huge favor? Follow the podcast. It really helps us grow and it tells the apps it's the podcast worth listening to. You can do that in Apple Podcasts by clicking on those three dots in the top right of your app. Look out for the follow button and just click on it. If you're listening on Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. You can click on that and you can follow that. We really appreciate you supporting Everyday Leadership. How did you actually deal with being sued, having to fire people, and then you had to sell the business as well, or I'm guessing a short space of time? How was that for you? Well, my hair fell out. That's the first thing. For real? (laughs) Not the whole hair, but yeah, like I had a patch in the back of my head, probably the size of, if you got four 50Ps and put them like... Wow. You know, four. Just from stressed. <laughs> yeah, stressed. I was very, 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 very stressed. I was totally burnt out. I remember being in the pharmacy. I can't remember why I was in the pharmacy, but the, the doctor called me and was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I was like, what? We've just checked your vitamin D levels. And essentially, I don't know how many people know about vitamin D. I'm a big proponent of making sure that you take your vitamin D supplements because a lot of us in this country, particularly those of color, are depleted of vitamin D and you're supposed to have a level of 50, whatever the measurement, I can't remember what the measurement metric is, but it should be 50. And mine was three. And the lady, the doctor, never forget the doctor was like, you just must be on the ground. And I was like, I have been, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And yeah, and that's, that's really how I was feeling. Like I was on the ground. So in addition to kind of having the mental stress, I also was having physical issues. And I, yeah, I felt terrible and I dealt with a lot of, ang- I had a lot of anger at that time. I remember being angry a lot of the time because I couldn't understand how something that had kind of grown so quickly and, and been doing so well and, and outwardly, it looked like I was doing amazingly. I was winning all of these awards. I was in the press. I was on BBC Radio 4. I was speaking at all events all around the country. Like I really felt like I was living the dream and it looked like it. People were coming to me to ask how they could grow their business. I was supporting people informally as a kind of mentor, coach. But behind the scenes, the whole thing was just falling to pieces. And I just remember being so angry. And the lady that had had tried to take me to the tribunal, the person I hired after her 
she was the person that stole the intellectual property. So I'd hired her to kind of continue with this project for us and to look at how we can commercialize the project. And in fact, what she was doing was taking all the ideas that I had and went and applied for a hundred grand funding for herself and went and left to set up her own thing. So it was a lot of pressure all at once. I then was losing kind of funding. So I'd stopped applying for funding because I didn't want the business to be funding reliant, but then couldn't work out how to build the commercial side of the business primarily because I didn't want to build the commercial side of the business. When I reflect on it now, I could have done it. I just didn't want to. And I was making excuses. I was procrastinating. I was doing everything other than the thing that needed to be done to to kind of get the business back on track. In terms of the full story, what then happened, I became pregnant. So I got married. The lady that stole the IP quit like a week before my wedding. So that was fun. The following year, after I'd, I got married, I was still going through a lot of the stuff with the tribunal, etc. Then was accepted onto an investment program and was going down the route of trying to secure investment to, to get some support in to help do the things that I clearly wasn't doing. So around the sales and the corporate stuff. My mum went into hospital for a routine operation and ended up in a coma, life support, organ failure. And all of this is just happening all at the same time. I was supposed to sign off for the investment. The investor said, actually, we don't want to invest anymore. Then found a new set of investors. And they said, yeah, we're all for it. And then when we were due to sign off the paperwork, they said, actually, can you come back in six months? And we need you to have hit this specific revenue target. I can't remember what it was. But I was like seven or eight months pregnant at this point. I'm traveling up and down on the motorway, trying to deal with my mom. I'd gone from the eight members of staff to one member of staff. I was angry. I was absolutely furious, furious at myself for allowing it to get to that point, furious at the investors for pulling out at the last minute, furious at the people that I'd employed that hadn't done what they were supposed to do and and actually had been a hindrance more than anything. So I was just mad at life, really. So the decision was to close the business because I couldn't see how I was going to kind of continue it. I had my daughter in July, took my newborn baby with me to sign off the papers to sell the business in the August, and then started my MBA in the September with the sole mission of identifying exactly where I'd gone wrong and how I can support others to not make the same mistakes that I did. And that is essentially how She's the Boss was born. Did you ever feel like you could speak up and share what was going on with you because like you said outwardly you're doing so well you're absolutely succeeding to the world and what can tend to happen does is scenarios as well if i reach out and say i'm struggling people give me like no you're not because they don't see it they don't feel it so did you feel like you had any support around you as a foundation as you were navigating or did you feel very much alone as you were going through all of this Nobody's ever asked me that question before. That's a really good question. I feel like I was kind of alone. I had my husband. He wasn't my husband until but like partway through that process. And he was very supportive, but obviously he wasn't in it. He wasn't in business. So he didn't necessarily, he wasn't necessarily able to kind of relate to some of the daily challenges that I was experiencing. And he was very much supporting me through the family issues and through the pregnancy. So there was, because remember, there's lots of different aspects that are at, were at play at the same time. What I wasn't able to find was somebody that could relate and that could provide me with the information that I needed to save myself in the situation. So I had a mentor 
And actually the mentor was given to me, or I suppose loaned out to me, however you want to phrase it, as part of the BBC Radio for Women's Hour series that I was part of. And she really had a, a huge impact on my mindset in particular, but it was for a fixed period of time. And actually once that kind of that series and that support finished was when the, the major stuff started happening and going wrong in the business. And I didn't necessarily feel like, I don't know, I, I assume it was a pride thing. I didn't feel like I could go back and say, oh my gosh, this is failing, help me. It was kind of like, I need to work this out for myself. And I definitely wasn't going to publicly talk about it because I wanted to, I, I, didn't, want it to, I didn't want to admit to everybody that it was going wrong because I've been out here like, CEO lady, like, this is great. I can't now be out here saying, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. Somebody help me. And actually that definitely was detrimental. But when I was quietly trying to seek support, I wasn't able to find it. So one of the the reasons also that I started She's a Boss was because of that, because I had felt that had I had somebody that had been kind of holding my hand throughout the process, but not just from a perspective of I've done business, I've been in business, but actually this is what you need to do. These are the frameworks. This is what makes for a successful business? Are you thinking about risk? Are you thinking about sustainability? Are you aware that your business is reliant on you? Somebody to really challenge me. You're saying that you're going to do these sales calls for, to these corporates. Why are you not doing it? I didn't have any accountability. And that really is something that I know if I could go back and not that I would ever change it because I feel like that was what happened was supposed to happen. But I think it's that accountability bit that I, I did not have and couldn't find from the people that I necessarily needed it from. So there was loads of, like at the time, business link was a thing. There was lots of kind of business advisors. Oh, we should do this. And have you done this type of analysis? Blah, blah, blah. Excuse me, sir. Have you ran a business before? Do you know what it's like to fire someone? No, you don't. So I don't want to hear about your theories and your frameworks. I want to hear about what do I do in this situation? But then where there was people that had been in business and they were able to say, oh, well, I've, I've experienced this and this is what I did. I'm like, okay, so how do you tackle this? What would you suggest here? Well, I don't know, because they didn't have the kind of academic background, which is why I then wanted to do my MBA. Because I felt, well, actually, I've, I've got the business experience and I'd, I had actually done a master's in enterprise, but it was very much focused on my business as opposed to the kind of learning about business in general. Whereas the MBA gave me that really, that grounding. So that the idea of being, I can be for people like me, what I didn't have. So to, to answer the question, yeah, I was alone, essentially. But that idea of being alone is what then has enabled me to do She's the Boss and be successful with She's the Boss in the way that I have been. Which is, which is not a surprise because what we say, so there's a quote that says, we tend to create things we didn't have. So that mm-hmm. other people don't have to go through what we went through. So that makes perfect sense as to how that came about. But I was also in, in, intrigued because going through everything you're going through from a business standpoint, going through what you're going through with your mom, then getting married, then having your, your baby girl. You didn't, in that, the sound like there was no break. Like you said, you literally sold in August, started MBA in September. You didn't seem to have any step back time for myself, reflect, all that. You just seem to kept on going all the way throughout. And you said you were burnt out previously. <laughs> we asking for trouble, right? <laughs> did you not learn? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> no, I clearly did not. And actually, now you, now you pointed that out. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't had a break since then either. Not a proper one anyway. 
yeah, maybe I should take a year off. Maybe that's the goal for next year. But yeah, no, I didn't. And I remember a friend of mine criticizing me at the time saying, you're supposed to be on maternity leave. It's supposed to be about you and your baby, not about working. And I'm like, but I want an MBA. And actually I've got a scholarship. It's free. I can't say no to freeness. Like (laughs) absolutely not. So I did it and then set up She's the Boss essentially whilst I was doing the MBA. Didn't actually do it full time. Once I'd finished, I started working on a contract actually with a national organization whose names I won't mention, but to test some of the, the ideas that I had developed was the the idea and to, to build my experience. Because whilst I had kind of done some informal mentoring and coaching before, it was informal. And, and I'd worked with specific types of business, primarily social enterprises. And actually I wanted to work with businesses from a range of different backgrounds and working with that organization enabled me to get that experience and to really understand whether the the kind of principles and the frameworks that I'd created worked. And they did, which then enabled me to to go full-time with the business. I didn't actually go properly full-time until last year. I was doing part-time with the business and part-time with the the contract. But because the contract essentially was exactly the same as what I was doing with the business, it kind of felt very seamless. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me, to be honest, because I'd always said, obviously, I'm not working. I don't want a job. It was a fixed term contract. There was no requirement for me to be anywhere at any given point. The only requirement was you need to work with a specific number of clients and we need to see some innovation in their businesses, help them with that. And that's what I did. And I smashed it with every client that I worked with. There was huge kind of advancements in those businesses based on the work that I was doing with them. And I'm like, okay, this works. And then when they started to get on my nerves, actually, I've got a thriving business over here. Why am I still wasting time talking to you people? I'm off. <laughs> and that's essentially what I did. I said, it's time to go now because actually you're holding me back because I could be spending more time on my business. And whilst I enjoy doing the work, because I really loved doing the work, to be honest. And also it gave me an opportunity to work with businesses that I had never, ever even heard of in terms of the, the industries and the sectors. Like I remember one of the first companies that they asked me to work with was a, a company called Art Fabrications and they were based on a farm like a yeah, like a farm thing, like just land in the middle of nowhere in this village in Nuneaton. And they did art fabrications. And I'm, I was like, what, what's art fabrications? I don't even know what that is. And they create steel art pieces. They create beautiful artwork out of steel and like metals. And I worked with them. They gave me the best testimonial video ever. I need to share that more often actually. And the principles of what I was teaching them and doing with them worked phenomenally to the point that it even surprised me like, wow. So not only does this work with kind of the social enterprise businesses and the small businesses, they'd been in business for about 15 years. They had a small team, I think it turned over like 1.5 million or something. So it was big, it was a big deal and it worked. And kind of those experiences really gave me the confidence to go out and kind of say, look, I am the boss because look at, look at these businesses that I've worked with. I know the the kind of average business coach because there's lots of people (laughs) calling themselves business coaches or business consultants and business advisors, but they only work with one type of business. They've only got one success story and they're using other people's frameworks, et cetera. And actually I didn't ever want to be that person because I'd met a lot of those career coaches that had never actually done anything, didn't really have any proof that what they could do works. I didn't want to be that guy. 
So the idea that I'd then gone to all of these different random industries and worked with all of these different businesses of very different sizes from kind of pre-start all the way up to million pound turnover companies and my methodologies worked. Yeah, like why am I not the boss? So actually I, I um, when I first started She's a Boss, it wasn't called She's a Boss. It was called Genus Enterprise Consultants. If you don't get it, it's because my name is Daniela Genus. Uh, but... <laughs> I realize it's a little bit self-indulgent, Diana. Maybe you should try something else. She's the boss, although that is also... <laughs> I don't know if it's any less self-indulgent. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, you went from one to the other, you're like, eh. <laughs> But if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, you may as well go all the way, right? So she's the boss. So like, I know what I'm doing. And also, previously, and it's a friend of mine, Nathan, that, that had really given me the moniker boss, because he used to call me world boss. So he'd introduce me as that to people. And I used to be like, my name is Daniela Nathan. Can you just call me my name, please? But it started to stick. And then when I um, was doing my MBA, the part of the research was around challenges and barriers to entry for female entrepreneurs and, and barriers to growth for female entrepreneurs. So I started interviewing women in business. And then within the first interview, I was like, oh, this is really good content. I'm going to turn this into a, a YouTube series. What should I call it? Well, they call me the boss lady. I'm interviewing women in business. Let's call it She's the Boss. And actually, that's how the She's the Boss business name came about. It was through the YouTube channel, which I've subsequently paused because it was causing a bit of confusion because I I don't just work with women. I also work with men. But yeah, that is essentially the journey to where I'm at right now. Wow. That's, um, I actually would have thought when, we, when you're talking earlier on, I thought the name came from your dad. You, you, you said... But that said, like, oh, beyond the boss. boss. Yeah. No, 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 it wasn't my dad. It was Mr. Nathan Dennis of First Class Foundation. <laughs> that he, Yeah, he used to call me world boss all the time. So it was kind of an extension of that. So now you are you're the boss. You have another successful business, multiple awards, multiple testimonials, amazing clients. You're in a good space. Do you feel settled? Do you feel like you're you've made it, or there's something else that you are yearning towards? Are there things, other things that you want to achieve? I mean, so I'm curious as to what that is. Okay, so let me preface what I'm about to say by saying I'm very happy. I'm happy with my life. I wake up every day and I'm happy. Miss Claver done, right? Cool. Tell me what you want to tell me. <laughs> but <laughs> with all that being said. Have I made it? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, 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 no. I believe I have achieved a certain level of success that I'm proud of. And I would never try to downplay it because I am. I'm proud of what I've, I've managed to achieve, particularly coming from the background that I come from. I don't come from money. I, I come from very humble beginnings. And the fact that I've been able to kind of create the, the career that I have, I'm proud of that. However, there's much further to go. What am I striving for? A variety of things. She's the boss is one vehicle, but I do want to have another business or two. I want to have a couple of businesses. I also want to have land in the Caribbean and in Africa, in a multi- multiple places in Africa, actually. And really, I want to just be able to go on holiday every six weeks. And until I'm at that point, when I get there, then I'll know, okay, we're done now. We don't have to do anything else. And I know they always say, once you reach one place, you add another thing. I don't think I will. I will always do stuff. Like, I think I'm going to be one of those people that's going to be like 70. I remember going to an event. 
just before the pandemic and there was this guy, he was like 87 and he came and was doing a, a, a talk at a conference at the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham. And I remember looking, thinking, that is amazing. Like, I want to be that guy. And he's saying, look, I, I don't want to just sit in my house and do nothing. I, I've got all of this knowledge. How dare I just sit in my house and do nothing? And it keeps me young because I'm moving. And he, you could see, like, he had a spring in his step. That's who I'm trying to be. So I don't think it's ever going to be a, a thing of, I'm just going to stop. I think I will always be doing something, but I know that the something will change and the way I do it will change. And that for the moment, the the kind of aim is to create a lifestyle that enables me to be on holiday more than I'm not on holiday, basically. <laughs> That's the goal. That's what I'm striving for. Um, it, within that, I'd love to, like, really one of the key things that I want to be able to do is to do more international speaking engagements. The idea of kind of being flown out to different parts of the world to to share kind of oh, some of my my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's at the top of the list. That's high up on the list. I would love to do that. I I remember in 2009, I went on a trip to Jamaica and spoke as part of a Jamaica Diaspora conference. And that, for me, the, that was the first time I'd ever done any sort of kind of international speaking. And that was phenomenal. And I remember always saying that that's kind of the way that I want to live. Like, just go to these beautiful places, speak to people, inspire people and go home to to kind of regroup and then do it all again. So that's really kind of at the top of the list. I want to to write. I'd love to have like published author of best-selling business books uh, on my list. So there's a lot of things essentially, but I am happy. I'm not one of those people that I'm not going to be happy until I achieve X, Y, and Z. And I don't feel like I'm a success until I get to here. No, I believe that I'm a success now and I am happy now. And I don't necessarily think those things are going to make me happier. I just want, I just want to have a house in Jamaica. <laughs> I think it would make me just happy. <laughs> what are the things that you are most proud of that you've achieved so far? That's a very good question. Well, impact is really important to me. So one of the things I didn't say previously, actually, is in addition to all of the wonderful things I want to do for myself, I also want to to continue to make an impact. One of the, the things that I am most proud of is the impact that I've had on the people that I've worked with, both in this business and in my first business. There's people that contact me up till t- even today who I started working with in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and saying the things that I kind of, the knowledge and the information that I imparted on them then is what's enabled them to get to where they are now. And that for me, I can't, I couldn't have imagined at the time that me saying specific things to people in 2011, 2012 would put them on a trajectory to achieve success in their life now in 2022. There's people that I started working with in, with She's the Boss in 2018, 2019, that have achieved phenomenal successes in their business. And again, in ways that I could never have even predicted when we started working together. And they attribute what they've achieved in part, obviously not wholly, because people still have to do work themselves, but to the advice, to the guidance and to the support that I have given them. I am very proud of that. And actually, when we talk about things like legacy, I always feel that, God forbid, if something did happen to me tomorrow, which it, it hopefully won't, and I'm going to live to be that old lady doing the, the speaking engagement with my walking stick. But let's just say it did. I feel like I've, I've 
I'm not trying to be negative, you know what I mean? But I think I feel like I've had an impact on so many people that I've left a legacy. Even if there's not even if there was no no financial legacy whatsoever, I know that my daughter would grow up and people would say, Your mum helped me do this. Your mum inspired me to do that. Your mum supported me in this. And I think that that is something that I'm very proud of. But then also as a, a kind of follow-on to that. I am very proud of the fact that what I am doing inspires my daughter. She is very different to me. At her age, she's six now. I was really shy. I was very quiet. The talking thing started when I was older. But like as a six-year-old, I was very kind of introverted. I still would say I'm an introvert now, but then I wouldn't say boo to a goose. Like I was sit in the corner and do calligraphy and and build connects and, and stuff like that. I was a bit of a geek. And seeing her... And seeing how confident she is, seeing her walking around talking about big boss energy and mommy's the boss and I'm the mini boss and walking around saying, mommy, we are rich. (laughs) And not because we are rich, because I'm not rich yet, but because in her head, you speak positivity and it will happen. Like, mommy, yes, we are rich because we've got loads of money. And I'm like, well, we don't, but if that's what you think, okay. She's like, we're rich because we've got this and we've got that. And I know I'm going to get even, I'm going to be even more rich than you, mommy. And I'm going to buy you a house with a pool. She's designed her whole house that has four pools, by the way. She loves to, she loves to watch. Four pools, okay. Yeah, four (laughs) pools and and a quarters for me and her dad. So we can go and we can be there, but we're not going to be involved in her parties and what she's doing. And I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that she she repeats to me often, think big, take action, keep pushing. That's my mantra. That's what I share and speak about with my clients. My daughter walks around saying it in the house. She turns it into songs. When she's trying to do something and she's finding it hard, she'll say, I never give up because I have to keep pushing. And when she's done it, she said, mommy, see, I believed in myself. I did what you said. Think big, take action, keep pushing. I am immensely proud of that. And actually, that probably that is the thing that I am proudest of the most. I don't know if that's good English. I'm the most proud of that's better English. And kind of seeing that she's like that at six, I'm just so excited about what she's going to be like when she's 26, when she's 36. Like, if I've been able to do what I've been able to do with limited resources, we've been able to provide her with the resources and the support and the confidence and empower her. What is she going to be and who is she going to be? And therefore, who are my grandkids going to be? Like, that's exciting to me. So I'm proud of that. And I'm also, just as a final thing, not to just boost it, keep boosting my own self, but I'm also proud of the fact boost, that I didn't give away, up. Boost away. <laughs> I'm proud of the fact that I didn't give up and I didn't stop. I think when I really reflect on exactly what happened towards the end of the first business and a lot of the stresses and the, the trials that I went through, it would have been easy to give up and to just go and get a job and just stick in a job and and just do that. And actually, as much as um, I'm not trying to badmouth my husband or anything, there was a portion of time where he was just like, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job. And it, it became a bone of contention in our house. And I remember saying to him, look, you're just going to have to understand that you married an entrepreneur. Like This getting a job thing is not going to work. So we can fight. We can keep fighting about it or you could just leave me alone and let me show you. And to be fair to him, he left me alone and I've showed him. And now he's happy. I'm happy. We're all happy. So I'm also kind of, I'm proud of that. Like I didn't, I didn't get swayed. And there were people that did try to sway me and say, actually, you tried it. It didn't really work. Maybe you need to try something else. I remember my mom 
my mum specifically saying like, you've got all of these qualifications. Imagine how much money you could get if you went and got a job. Why don't you go and get a job? I'm like, I don't want a job. Like, I, it's never been part of the, the vision. Why am I going to get a job now? Because I've got some qualifications. It doesn't really make any sense. And that was actually when I'd had my undergrad and my master's. That was before I got my MBA. And I remember that I invited her to an award ceremony for Birmingham Young Professional of the Year. And I won the entrepreneurial category prize. And she like, I would never forget it. She ran around the table, dashed my husband out of the way, <laughs> like proper dashed him. And they gave me the biggest hug. I was like, I knew it, I knew it, yay. And then from that point <laughs> onwards was like, I knew you should be an entrepreneur. I was all, And I was like, you told me to get a job. <laughs> and actually, had I listened to what you were saying, I would have had a job. But actually now she's one of my greatest supporters. But what I'm saying is there was a, and, and for people listening, you may have people in your life that say, look, it's not the thing, go and get a job. And I don't mean be ignorant. Like if you don't have any money and you're on your face, then that's a different thing. But actually, if you see that you're going to be able to get some traction, don't listen to, to what the people around you are necessarily saying, prove them wrong. And that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud that I was able to prove those people wrong and also prove myself right. And now I know that whatever happens, if I lost everything tomorrow, I know I can build back because I've done it before. There's one thing that really stands out to me about you is your self-awareness and being able to have that self-awareness of this is who I am. This is how I show up. I can't do certain things which fits majority of the world, but this is how I've been created to harness the different skills and talents I have, and I therefore need to operate in this particular way. And you, the willingness to stick with that, even through the trials and tribulations that you have gone through, is, is absolutely amazing. It's very encouraging. It's very inspiring. And even listening to your daughter talking the way she's talking right now from a young age, that's just like confidence building. You know, having those words and being able to even see them, not just having those words, but even the actions she's taking at, at six, like, that's a whole different level. And as you're talking about her, I'm like, man, that just that sounds so, so good. Like, that's a, I can't imagine that <laughs> feeling of being a mom, having that mantra for you, what you do with your clients, but your daughter also embodying everything. Because as a young black girl, that is so important to her to have that confidence. So, congratulations on that. That's, that's, that's dope. Thank you. <laughs> Last question. How do you define leadership? Oh, that's a tricky one. First and foremostly, I think being a leader is about getting people to buy into the vision. And I think this is why when I was running my first business, I wasn't a very good leader because I kind of knew what my vision was. But I didn't get buy-in from the people that I needed to buy into it to help me achieve it, number one. And number two, I didn't understand and recognize how important it was that each member of the team understood how they fit within the vision and how their personal visions would be actualized through the business vision. I think that was very worthy. But I think if you're a leader and you don't have ability to be able to inspire people to kind of jump on your train and go in the direction that you're going in, then are you really a leader or are you a dictator? And a dictator 
or just another team member, because I don't think I was a, a dictator. I was just like, I'm doing my own thing over here. You do what you're doing over there. And hopefully we'll meet at some point as we go ahead. And I, I don't think that's effective, but I also don't think it's effective to be, this is what we're doing. You have to do this. If you don't do this, get out. That's dictatorship. And I think leadership really is about understanding what people are motivated by and motivating them using those methods. And also, as I said, getting them to buy into a bigger picture, being able to see the bigger picture and see how each individual person who is involved in that fits within it and kind of doing the things that need to be done to inspire them, to get them to buy in and to get them to to be motivated to work towards that vision for and with you. And I would say that's how I would that's how I would define leadership. I think to be a leader, you have to have a certain level of charisma. You have to be likable. If people don't like you, then it's that thing, like, was it the message was good, but shoot the messenger. I don't know if that's even the right way of saying it, but it's that principle. Sometimes somebody can be saying the most profound thing because you don't like them, that idiot again. So I think that there also needs to be some some level of kind of likability. And there also, I think, needs to be some level of integrity and integrity in terms of people doing as they say, first and foremostly, but also knowing what they're talking about. I think in this kind of social media age, there's lots of kind of influencers and people that are trying to influence. And sometimes we can confuse that with people being leaders. And I think there's a distinct difference because to be a true leader, you need to have integrity. I need to be able to trust and believe in what you are saying. And if you don't have any kind of credentials or any experience to be able to to kind of guide me, then why am I actually listening to you? And I think in this kind of modern day social media hype, there's too many people that are following people that lack integrity and they're not true leaders. And we need more people that have integrity, that are likable and that kind of understand how to get people to buy into a bigger vision. I'm hoping that I can be that person or one of, was not the only person in the world, but be that person within the kind of she's the boss family that I am working with now and and any future businesses. But also from a community perspective, I am, by, by virtue of what I do, I am considered in some ways a, a leader within the community. And I hope that I am exhibiting those kind of traits that I've just mentioned and doing it in a positive way. And that's why I'm also very much about sharing my story. Obviously I wasn't doing it before when I was going through the hardships and I was keeping it a secret, but now I share all of the hardships <laughs> and I, I try to keep it as real as possible. Like, look, these, these things are hard. This is hard. And, and even like during uh, lockdown, for example, I know that there was a lot of people that were lost and a lot of people were struggling. And that was one time where I was super vocal about the challenges. And I remember kind of as the lockdown kind of eased and we came back to some kind of semblance of normality, a lot of people were reaching out to me and saying that a lot of the content that I was sharing during that time uplifted them and helped them kind of get through because there were so many people saying, oh, this is the best time ever. Do this, do that. And if you're not doing, if you're not hitting your goals during this time, what are you doing? Whereas I would say, look, this is hard. Today I locked myself in the in the bedroom and sat with my back against the door and I cried because I, I was seeing my daughter all day, every day. I would wake up, she was there, I would go to bed and she was there and she wouldn't leave me alone and I've got work to do and I can't do the work and this is stressful. And I was very kind of vocal about that. And I was saying, look, 
as much as I'm in all for goal setting and stuff during this time, give yourself some grace. And I think that that's what leaders do. They don't get up and say, this is perfect. This is wonderful. And if I can do it, you can do it. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, you're having a nervous breakdown. And I'm not saying that you have to tell everybody that you're having a breakdown, but be honest. Like, I think this kind of picture perfect representation that a lot of influencers, leaders, internet leaders, let's call them, present on socials, <laughs> that they present on socials is actually quite detrimental and it's not it's not helpful. And I think actually there needs to be more integrity. Listen, you were taking me to church. I was like, preach that dude, I keep on going, keep on going, you know. It was... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm 100%, 100% with you. I think it's also great to be able to say, one, that you recognize yourself, which you do, but also say that you are one of those people who leads from a place of authenticity and realness. From the sharing of your story to the work that you do and everything that you put out there, it's not about being fake or look at me. It's this is my life. This is who I am. This is how I do things. And if you like it and you resonate with it, cool. If you don't, Go along, get it. That's that's your business, but you're going to keep on doing you and still performing to the crowd or the audience. And that definitely comes across. And it's been amazing hearing your story and delving into depths in some parts that I've naturally heard before, which is really, really good. And I'm sure it's going to inspire and encourage a lot of people because you are a leader. You're doing it through your business. You're doing it as an individual. You're doing it as a wife. You're doing it as a mother. So you are definitely an example of everyday leader. Where is the best place for people to be able to get hold of you if they want to work with you? I spend far too much time on Instagram, which is at She's the Boss UK. You can connect with me there. I'm trying to spend way more time on LinkedIn, which is Daniela Genus. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of trying to prioritize my time actually at the moment. And then if you really want to work with me and you want to find out about my services, I have a range of packages which you can view on my brochure on my website, which is she's the boss intl.com. And, and you obviously can also email me, Daniela, at she's the boss intl.com also. So all of that will be in, in the show notes. Um, so people can definitely, like you said, testimonials speak for themselves. You've heard her, the clients who talk about it. So Daniela is someone that I highly recommend because she is absolutely amazing. So thank you very much for today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is Everyday Leadership and we'll see you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we've got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. What? really drives me is that piece around are we making the world a more inclusive place are we helping leaders to walk in their power 